On this episode of Aka Education, Justin shares stories from teachers and students across the country about their experiences during the opening of the new school year and the challenges they are facing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Aka Education Podcast. And welcome to episode 13 of the Aka Education Podcast. I'm Justin Glodish, and it's just me this week, but I am sharing stories from you, the listeners, from teachers and students from across the country telling me how your opening of school year has been going. Now listen, folks, I think it's safe to say that it has been a trying beginning of the year. I know for myself, and I mentioned it in previous episodes before, I find myself changing my game plan pretty much every day, sometimes two or three times a day, because I'm trying to find the best possible way to reach my students, especially teaching in a hybrid model where half of them are sitting in front of me and half of them are at home. Now, I'm not going to be ashamed to admit that this is hard, and it's probably the most difficult year I've ever taught in my career, and we're only in October, and I started in September. But after receiving some of the stories that I did, it makes me feel a little bit better to know that I'm not alone and that we're all really trying our best. Reading what you all write in the music teacher blogs on Facebook or the music teacher groups on Facebook and, you know, just the the memes that go out there, you know, just checking over social media in general and just seeing the reactions that all of us are having. We're all in this together and it really is a struggle. And it's taking its toll, I think, on a lot of us. So I'm hoping that today will at least make us feel a little bit better to know that we're all in the same boat. Now let's start with the information that is coming out of this study that's going on at the University of Colorado at Boulder, uh, the Shelley Miller, Jose Luis Jimenez study. The aerosol study that a lot of us have been trying to keep track of to find out what exactly is going on with these aerosols that go into the air when we sing or when we perform on instruments. Now, on in this September 17th, 2020 article by Kelsey Simpkins, she gives a little brief description of what's going on with the study and just some new, uh, some new information that we might already know. It says, this study documents in great detail that the only plausible explanation for the super spreading event was transmission by aerosols. Shared air is important because you can be inhaling what someone else exhaled, even if they are far away from you. And that's from Shelley Miller herself, who just so happens to be the lead author on the study. Now, Jose Luis Jimenez, co-author of the study, he says the inhalation of infectious respiratory aerosol from shared air was the leading mode of transmission in this situation that happened in Washington state where choir rehearsal happened for two and a half hours and over 50 people contracted the COVID-19 virus. So the researchers also found that if they shortened the rehearsal from two and a half hours to just 30 minutes, the rate of infection would have dropped from 87% to 12%. Uh, The study says wearing masks, improving ventilation, using portable air cleaners, and rehearsing for half the duration combined could have dropped the number of people infected down from 52 to only 5. Shelley Miller also goes on to say that singing is known to release high amounts of aerosol. So within this study, they they conducted the study with singing without a mask, singing with a mask, singing this far apart, singing that far apart. Uh, Same thing with instruments, using covers for instruments, just a lot of different 
ideas to try and minimize the amount of aerosols that go into the air. The authors did recommend that conducting choral practices outdoors whenever possible during the pandemic and carefully managing any indoor singing events, as singing can generate large amounts of aerosolized virus if any of the singers is infected. Improved ventilation, which draws in more outside air, and air cleaning that removes virus-containing aerosols from the air can be helpful to reducing the spread of airborne infections in any indoor space, but singing with masks and at distances more than six feet apart are very important as well. So, the research did add that the overwhelming body of evidence that aerosol transmission is playing a major role in driving this pandemic and especially to super-spreading events. Now, some of you probably have gone to the CDC guidelines page several times, like I have myself, just to find out if anything has changed or what's going on. And if you actually check out the guidance for K-12 school administrators on the cdc.gov webpage, there is a section that says students who are in band, choir, or music class, and their restrictions are basically this. When students are not singing or playing an instrument that requires the use of their mouth, they should wear a mask in music class, unless class is outdoors and distance can be maintained. Social distancing helps protect students in music class. And while students are singing or playing an instrument, use visual cues to keep them at least six feet apart. If it's safe and weather permits, consider moving class outdoors where air circulation is better than indoors and maintain at least six feet distance between students. Some districts and some of my colleagues have said that they've actually expanded that to 12 feet so that they can actually sing outdoors. I know that in some states, especially over in the West Coast, uh, with a lot of the wildfires that have occurred, it has been a tricky situation to get outdoors because the air quality is just very poor. We are getting into the fall months here in the Northeast, so a lot of the temperatures are dropping. So going outside is tricky, especially, you know, for myself, I have an eight o'clock, 8 a.m. class and it's still in, you know, the upper 30s, lower 40s. I don't feel comfortable taking my students out to perform and sing. Um, however, by the afternoon, that temperature has risen. So it's kind of inequitable. I mean, already we have inequity in the, the system by having students in the classroom and at home and trying to make sure that technology is working for us. But now you're adding this new wrinkle where the students you do have in your building, you take them outside to perform and only half of them can perform because it's warmer in the afternoon that is in the morning. And what are those students at home doing while you're rehearsing outside with the students who are in front of you? It's a lot of variables going on in a lot of what we do. So that is just some basic information that you all probably knew, but I thought it'd be important to kind of bring it back up as we lead into some of the stories that I have received from teachers and students from across the country. Now, the ones that I'm going to share today are the ones that stood out the most to me, but I want everyone to understand that I've read every submission, I've listened to every submission, and I think a lot of us are all on the same page. So... When you hear these specific stories today, maybe they sound very similar to what you're doing um, and what's going on in your neck of the woods. So the first story I'm going to share is from Matt Woodward, who teaches in San Antonio, Texas, in the Northeast Independent School District. Matt writes, Howdy, thanks for asking for our voices. No one has really been asking teachers how we feel about what is going on, especially in Texas where Governor Abbott unilaterally declared us to be glorified babysitters. A lot of our rules are more strict than other places because San Antonio is one of the super hot spots for COVID-19 this summer. Our positivity rate is just now dropping to 6.4% and it was actually over 20% for most of July and August. The current rules about how we are allowed to have class are very detailed. 
he actually sent me the rules for his district on what they were doing. And I went through it. It's practically a 20-page document, including how to enter the school building, how to enter a classroom, how your seats should be distanced within your classroom, how students are going to walk this way, how students are going to walk that way. Very detailed. And they sing indoors for 30 minutes. They only get 30 minutes, and then they have to vacate the space completely for 20 minutes while the air conditioning changes the air. Masks are on at all times for everyone. And after each class, they have disinfectant, which they use to wipe down every surface the kids came into contact with. This includes the chairs, the practice rooms, pianos, you name it. Anything that the student came in contact with, they are cleaning with disinfectant. There are no shared resources allowed, which for most choirs means sight reading books and or pencils. Uh, but then that also includes microphones. Now, not that it matters since most of the kids aren't returning to class. They are not allowed to have live performances. They're allowed to fundraise, but it can't be for general funds. It must be specifically for an activity or event, which they can't do. So fundraising's out the window. Think about that for a second. You can't have live performances. You're allowed to fundraise, but it can't be for general funds. It has to be for an activity or event. Usually events in the music department require performing. So if you can't perform, you can't fundraise. That's, that's like a double whammy right there. And I feel really bad for Matt in his district. And he says, we currently have three people at most in their classes. In two weeks, he expects it to go up to 10 in at least one class. He doesn't necessarily ask the students where they're at, but he, if he had to take a guess, he'd say a lot of them would potentially be coming back by January. So that's almost half the school year. Um, Matt is an acapella director for his high school acapella group. And he said the numbers in the acapella groups are down. One of his groups had 20 last year and it's down to 12 this year. Another group had 19 and it's down to 16. Less students actually auditioned this year, only 35 tried out. So during class, what he actually does in his classroom is he shows warm-up videos through YouTube and checks and watches the, kid, watches the kids for form, posture, valve shape, etc. Um, you know, the basic things that we should be looking for when it would be a normal classroom experience. He also says they've done a lot of TED Talk style teaching where we show a video of a group performing. We talk about the history of that group, the purpose of the song, the style. So a lot of history and kind of analyzing musical performances is happening in this class as well, which is very important too. There's not a lot of singing necessarily going on, but there's a lot of value going on. And I love what Matt's doing here. He also has started using Soundtrap, which I've mentioned in a few previous episodes, which is basically a cloud-based version of GarageBand. It's part of the Music First package. It's also a standalone thing, but um, Soundtrap has software, has over a thousand different sounds that you can use, um, but utilizing it for singing to create improvisations and doing like group improv through Soundtrap because of that collaboration feature that Soundtrap holds. Um, one of the other things that Matt has said is that his group is intending on doing the International Championship of High School Acapella. This year, Varsity Vocals, the company who runs the ICCA and the ICHSA, made it all virtual, looking to do videos. Um, and submitting videos to be judged and critiqued and whatnot. Um, but Matt has said, because the technology is so new, it's a little overwhelming, and he, he's hoping that the best will come from it. This is a big part right here that he explains. He says the morale is at an all-time low, and I can't agree with him more. 
it is so difficult to teach students who are do not want to be wearing masks. They want to be socializing. They want to be singing. They want to be having a good time. The masks is the mask is restrictive. It, it really takes away from the enjoyment of being in class, being with your peers, and learning. It, it it's really a struggle. He says, morale's at an all-time low. The kids are overwhelmed with their classes. He says in his district that the population is lower socioeconomic, so most of those students are either home alone or they're taking care of their siblings. So you're asking those children to not only learn while they're home alone, but also if they have siblings, they have to essentially babysit while they're trying to do the work on their own. That is extremely difficult. And I know of many, many people out there who are having the same struggles. He says, one of his best sopranos is a nanny for a nearby family. And when she joins the calls, sometimes she has a toddler come running in asking for something. Parents have pulled kids from calls because they need to use the device as some families only have one device in the household. These are the inequitable things that we need to be discussing and talking about because if I had to give it a you know, analogy, we're throwing a pot of pasta against the wall and praying that it sticks. Something sticks. Matt says he's tried to have a requirement that his kids send in recordings of themselves singing. And at first it was meant with about 50% completion. Um, here were some of the responses when he asked why they weren't even turning in the work. And these are actual student responses to Matt. I personally don't feel comfortable singing in my own apartment considering the walls here are paper thin and the neighbors above me are kind of rude and will blast loud music and stomp on their floor almost every time and I try to sing out. I'm just so overwhelmed and exhausted with schoolwork right now, I don't feel like I have the time to properly prepare to turn something in I feel good about. I always had to watch my niece and she always has me busy. Singing around my house is something I don't feel comfortable doing. I think it's an insecurity problem because people in my house tend to comment on every little thing that I do. Choir isn't as fun as in person. I really don't enjoy learning the music by myself and it's not the same as going to school and being with someone. These are high school students giving these answers. And I know, I know for a fact, this is not just Matt in San Antonio experiencing these problems. It's everywhere. I feel for these students, you know, having the neighbors who are rude and you're just trying to get something done and they're pounding on the walls or blasting music to try and drown you out. Having to be a nanny and having to babysit or having to watch younger siblings because there's no childcare. Overwhelmed with all of the other schoolwork. You got to remember, we're not just the only people that are trying to teach our students. We have other disciplines that are trying to get their students prepared to be career ready or college ready for the future. You know, the students are, they have insecurities about singing at home because the way that they might get judged at home and it's not fun learning it by themselves. They, they want to be with everyone else. Literally Matt just says, this is just a small selection of 50 similar comments that he has received. The kids feel unsupported, they're being pushed too hard by too many other teachers, and they're scared to return in person. The district is trying hard, but the rules coming down from the government say we must have students in person or our funding will be cut. I, I hear that. And that's that's part of the problem that I have with funding is, is how we're being forced back into it and we could lose funding for things that are kind of out of our control. 
Matt also says, as a teacher, I feel like I'm not actually teaching anything. I'm occupying a little time in their day, so my new focus has become bringing joy to their lives. I try to talk to a new kid each class. I send positive messages to them during warm-ups. I laugh and tell fun stories whenever I can. I show them amazing music videos, mostly the swingles, because those people are angels on this earth. And Matt, you are not lying. The swingles are one of my favorite groups of all time. They are amazing. Matt says it is rough. Matt, thank you for sharing your story with us. I have to tell you, I feel horrible for this, what the students are going through in Matt's district and in your district if you're experiencing the same things. I'm also finding that a lot of my colleagues and myself, we, we feel that we're getting the same comments from our students as well. And it, it really is a struggle. And it's really become trying to be a positive force in your students' lives to make it a little bit easier for them and a little bit better because this is a trying time for all of us. Now, the next submission I'm going to share is actually an audio recording from the teacher themselves. And so I'm going to let him explain to you what things are going like in his district. This is Ian Sanchez. He is a junior high school music teacher in Pennsylvania. My name is Ian Sanchez. I teach 7th to 9th grade choral music at Tamanund Middle School in the Central Bucks School District in southeastern Pennsylvania. So we started our school year all virtually but we're actually shifting to a hybrid model this week. Uh, so as the students come back, we do have a plan in place for singing based on the aerosol study that came out over the summer. Uh, that includes, of course, outdoor singing, but some indoor as well. Um, and of course, we would have our six feet spacing, masks on, 30 minutes maximum singing, and then moving to allow the air to circulate. Uh, we did find out that our air is cycling at five times per hour, which is very nice. Uh, certainly no live performances for the fall. Uh, that involves uh, bringing too many people together, of course, as an audience. So we'll rely on some virtual models for that. And in terms of the everyday teaching, uh, I'm kind of combining a lot of the tools I used in the spring. Uh, Flipgrid, Sight Reading Factory, found Soundtrap for the first time in the spring, um, you know, and creating some virtual projects. Uh, but approaching things a little bit more traditionally in terms of class time, using a little bit more of a regular rehearsal approach with the students' microphones muted, of course, uh, although we turn them on from time to time just for fun because it's fun to listen to the totally not together singing. Um, and we actually use uh, the Microsoft Teams product uh, in our school district. And that's actually kind of neat for a course teacher because they have this mode called together mode where you can see the students kind of all together um, without the box around them and without their name listed. And you just see their face and maybe, you know, their shoulders depending on how they're seated sitting. And uh, for a chorus teacher, that's really cool because we can focus on what they're doing with their mouth as they're singing. So that's been a really helpful tool. Uh, one other thing that I'd like to say is that yeah, we're going to continue this fall something we did in the spring, uh, which is kind of like a virtual coffee house. Uh, we call them uh, the Corona Cabaret. And uh, basically their students are, students are performing at home via Microsoft Teams. Um, and after they're done performing, the usually like 70, 80 audience members will unmute and, and clap and applaud and cheer and write awesome messages in the chat. Um, and then the next person goes. Uh, and it's been pretty cool. It's really been a great way to bring together friends, family, uh, teachers, administrators, like so many people from our school community. Um, and I think it, it is, it's neat. It shows the, the power of music to really connect people, especially in this time. And that was Ian Sanchez, a junior high school music teacher from the Central Bucks School District in Pennsylvania. I have to say, that Corona Cabaret idea is 
awesome. I love how you actually have the students perform from home and give them the opportunity to actually sing out and give them give them that chance to perform in front of others, even though you know they aren't in class with each other. You know, the fact that you had over 70 to 80 audience members in the spring with this and it was a positive experience for those students is huge. So Ian, I applaud you for that. Some of the other things that I, I thought was interesting um, in your response was the the use of you know Flipgrid, Soundtrap, and Sight Reading Factory. These are all those things that are part of that Music First suite um, that I know a lot of educators use. Our district uses it now. I use it. I used a lot of those uh, on the like individual aspect, but now that they're all part of that package, I mean, it they're nice. Uh, it's nice and streamlined to be able to use. Um, one thing that I I thought that Ian brought up uh, that was interesting is the the airflow that happens uh, in his district. It says it. Uh, turns over at least five times per hour. I've never been to Central Bucks. I'm not sure what the district is like there, but um, I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. And I know that um, some districts, uh, their ventilation systems are, are, are fairly old and, and cannot handle um, that turning over um, of air. And I, I think that that becomes a situation where you struggle with the indoor singing, you know, and some of our districts out there might have that situation happen where, you know, the ventilation system isn't strong enough or, or cannot handle the new filtration systems, or you don't have the money to handle filtration systems uh, to get them repaired or renewed, that um, indoor singing just kind of becomes an afterthought and you have to resort to the outdoor singing. Um, but the 30 minute max, you know, moving, um, you know, it's the same as what Matt said uh, in San Antonio and giving the rest of that time for that air to filter through. No live performances throughout the fall, but these Corona cabarets sound like a great idea uh, to, to kind of replace them. Um, he also talks about using Microsoft Teams. I know there are a lot of people out there that use Zoom as their uh, method of choice for all the remote learning. Um, some use the G Suite, the Google Suite. Um, that's what my district uses, Google Classroom with Google Meets. Um, and some use Microsoft Teams like Ian Sanchez or uh, one of my friends um, who is actually going to be, uh, we're doing a presentation together for our state music festival coming up online, of course. He also uses Microsoft Teams. So a lot of great things there. Um, and I thought it was, I, what I also want to add is, um, which I thought was clever is, you know, having the students sing at home, but their microphones are muted, but you, you throw in a little surprise to kind of like you unmute them without them knowing. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm on. That is a great way to one, you know, make sure that they are singing and it just kind of like throws them off, you know, because I, I feel like I could have a situation where I do that and I find out that the kid was lip syncing the whole time. And I, I, I know that my students wouldn't do that, but you know, one of them might try it. I know I have a couple students who are like the jokesters like that, who actually might try that. But I think that's a great way to, to ensure that students are doing what they're supposed to be doing and to, you know, in a, in a sense, um, kind of evaluate them as, as you're having rehearsal. Our next shared story is another audio recording from Kristen Benamati, who is a fifth and sixth grade literacy and social studies teacher in a small school district in Vermont. Hi, I'm Kristen Benamati, and I teach fifth and sixth grade literacy and social studies at a very small school in Vermont. We are a K to six school with only one class per grade. 
We share special area teachers with other schools. Our library class is remote because our librarian is staying housed at the other school she is at. The kids still have access to books, but they can't step foot in the library. They check their books out online. A para will bring the books to them, and then they turn them into a cart where they sit for a few days before going back onto the shelves. Our music teacher and gym teacher work at the same two schools. They are flip-flopping between the two schools every few weeks. So when they are in the building, they are teaching both music and gym with guidance from the other teacher. Our art teacher is staying at the other school she works at this year, so her class is strictly remote as well. This really is a year like no other. As for the classroom this year, I have nine fifth graders and nine sixth graders. Right now, six are remote learners and the rest are coming in on a hybrid schedule. The governor of Vermont is urging schools to get students in for four days a week come October. Right now, my only live session with my students when they are remote is during a half hour classroom community connection time. That's the only time I connect with them live. Everything else has to be recorded videos and lessons posted, posted to Seesaw, which is the learning, the learning management system we are using. This means even when students are in my classroom, they should either be completing their lessons online or I am teaching the same lesson I recorded live for them so that the remote students and the in-person kids are learning the same things on the same days. My focus right now has to be on literacy, and I can embed social studies into it when I want to. I was definitely not prepared to teach this way. Uh, this is definitely not my cup of tea. Um, literacy at this age is all about discussion. My lessons are usually based off of the discussion that comes up when we are talking about an article, a read aloud, a reading group book, any huge, you know, important topics. Having only a live community connection session where it's supposed to be all about team building doesn't allow me to have those deep literacy discussions. So this year is hard. It feels good to at least be able to do a lesson with my hybrid students when they are in the building, but it's not the same. Constant hand washing, mask breaks, cleaning of supplies and tables, I'm tired of staring at a computer. The new normal is taking a lot of getting used to. And there's hope that when students come back for um, four days a week, I'll be able to teach them without using Seesaw. But that still is left to be determined. So <laughs> this year is um, definitely one I'm not going to forget. And that was Kristen Benamati, a fifth and sixth grade social studies and literacy teacher in a small Vermont school district. Now, I listened to everything that she said, and it it really does sound like a lot of the stuff that we're all going through. It's a remote learning plan or a hybrid learning plan using a specific software that has been assigned to our specific district and making sure that the students um, are completing those assignments. What I found interesting, though, is that she brings up a great point. She's not a music teacher. She is a literacy teacher, and she says literacy is all about discussion, especially at the age that she is teaching at. So how can you have a discussion when you're staring at a screen and maybe the student at the other end isn't showing their face? You're looking at an icon and that icon is also muted. How are you able to have discussions and be able to really promote the conversation forward and push the conversation forward if the students aren't there willing to give their all? She makes great points saying how this, this year really is like no other and it's not. And I can only imagine what all the other teachers might be going through and what the students are going through trying to figure out 
how to approach every single day. Now, I have one more teacher story to share. This teacher story comes to us from Lauren Scharf, who is a high school teacher in Western New York. And I posed some questions to her and asked her what it looked like um, for her reopening plan. So I had asked her how to district, her district has approached reopening and if there was a specific plan in place. And she said that each building level was different at the high school level where she teaches. Only in-person students are ninth graders and they attend school every other day and are fully remote on Friday. The rest of the grade levels 10 through 12 are fully online. It's an interesting approach to have just the ninth graders in-person only um, and then Friday is a remote day for them, but 10 through 12 is fully online. So I asked her, how have you approached teaching during the time? You know, what is your schedule looking like? Not just when school is in session, but you know, at home grading and making preparations and all of that. And Lauren told me that she teaches two choirs. One is mixed chorus, which is a non-audition group that has 55 students in ninth through 12th grade. And then acapella, which is um, basically a chamber group auditioned 10th through 12th grade, uh, 75 students. That's the, that's the upper level choir. She says she's able to see one group of ninth grade students for 30 minutes, Monday through Thursday. And there are approximately 18 to 20 students each day. Those students make up more than half of her mixed chorus. They meet and rehearse, she put rehearse in quotes when she responded, uh, in the auditorium. Students are seated 12 feet apart and are required to wear a mask. They sing for about 10 to 20 minutes, then focus on some sort of theory aspect. So she meets with both of her ensembles virtually once a week for 20 minutes. Doesn't sound like a lot of time. It says, during this time, we go over the weekly assignments and any other important information. So essentially, Lauren is assigning assignments for the week and then doing a check-in for 20 minutes once a week. She says throughout the week, she'll meet with small sectionals of about five to 10 students per in the afternoon via Zoom. She will see three groups a day. And during sectionals, she focuses on sight singing, music theory, and solo or choral rep. She said she hasn't started it yet at the date of this um, writing, but she was not sure how it would ultimately look. Um, and she was hoping to start at least the beginning of October. So Lauren, if you're listening, I hope in, I'm hoping that you were able to start getting some sort of solo or choral rep working with your students. She says she has created assignments that get pushed out to both choirs through Google Classroom. She's still awaiting for the subscription of Music First from the district, and once that's up and running, many of the assignments will be completed through that platform. Her and I were actually in the same situation in the sense that Music First probably got a huge uptick of subscribers this year because of the hybrid model learning and teaching and the remote learning models um, and teaching at home. So um, kudos to James Frankel and the Music First team for you know taking care of everything to try and get everybody up and running in an orderly fashion. And one of the things I love about Music First, you know, I'm not trying to endorse it or anything, but I'm telling you, there's a there's a Facebook group called Music First Teachers, and James Frankel is a wizard. People post things on there that they're having issues and James will respond within like the first 15, 20 minutes of you posting to let you know what's going on. He, he takes pride in his work, um, making sure that everyone is working, uh, everyone is up and running with their music first suite. So back to Lauren. I asked, what is your emotional state and well-being as well as your students? And have you noticed a trend in behavior and struggling, you know, students struggling and their behavior changing? 
And I think like all of us have to agree, uh, Lauren says it's been an overwhelming start to the year. It's actually her first year in the position, but she's been in the district before. Says she's had trouble getting her footing and knowing where to begin. She says she knows many of the students because she was teaching at the middle school level for the past six years, and she was the high school musical director for the past four. So a lot of those students knew her already, and she made the transition up to the high school this year. So this is her first year teaching there, and she's having a hybrid model to try and work with. She said there are a number of students that she has no connection or relationship, which makes it hard to convince them to sing on camera for her. She's had a number of students choose to drop chorus because they miss the group camaraderie, they have anxiety over recording themselves singing, or they need more time for other courses. There's a very rich tradition of choral singing in her district, and she said last year was the 95th annual Acapella Vespers concert. 95th annual. She said it's hard to fathom that this may be the first year in 95 years that there won't be a performance in December. And many of the students are upset that they will miss this opportunity, especially those seniors. It's also upsetting the community because there are many alumni who attend the performances each year. Last year, she said, there were over 200 alumni in attendance for that specific concert. That is rooted in tradition. And though that many alumni to attend that concert and now not to potentially have it this year is, is, is heartbreaking. It's very frustrating. Lauren, Thank you for sharing your story with me as well. I think it's safe to say that between Matt in San Antonio, Ian in Bucks County, PA, Kristen in Sunderland, Vermont, and Lauren in Jamestown, New York, and a lot of you others who I've read snippets here and there from your stories, it's, it's all the same thing. We're overwhelmed. Our students are overwhelmed. Our numbers are dropping left and right because students have mixed feelings about what chorus should feel like. There's that anxiety that grows in those students who don't feel comfortable singing by themselves on camera. They'd rather be in a group singing. You know, there there are those students out there who who shine and they have the, you know, the solo voice and they want to be heard all the time, but there are those students who value working together in a group, being able to be with each other, rely on each other in that group setting and it makes them feel more comfortable that way. Those students are are on the fence now and they're missing out. And it's unfortunate that we see our numbers dropping. You know, one of the things that Matt had mentioned earlier um, from San Antonio is that he only had 35 people audition for acapella groups this year. The amount of students I auditioned for my own acapella group this year dropped by about 15 kids. Last year I had over 50 audition. This year I had, you know, about 30, 35. One of the bigger excuses that's also coming from a lot of these stories is that the students they need to focus on their other classes. They're being overwhelmed with more work. You know, um, you put it all together. Students are getting, you know, their remote learning lessons or their online lessons for, say, a 40-minute period. They're working hard for that 40-minute period, and then, you know, they might have homework on top of that. You start adding that up between a nine-period day, especially for middle school or high school kids, that's a lot of work. Not to mention the fact that they're staring at a screen for several hours a day and then need to go and take care of, you know, the work that has been assigned to them. You know, and for some students, they might not see music as a core class or maybe it's not presented as a core subject like, you know, math or ELA or history or science. You know, music is something that is a part of them, you know, I know that a lot of states, uh, th there's a requirement 
to have an arts elective, especially in the high school. I know in New York State, you must have at least one credit of uh, arts class. It could be visual media, it could be you know art, it could be band chorus, whatever, a music chorus, but you only need one credit of it, which usually equates to about one year. A lot of these students stick with it for several years because they enjoy it and want to be a part of it. Now they're looking at a situation where, you know, what could happen? Um, they they need that extra time to focus on the other classes, um, especially, you know, if that's what they intend on going to college for. Now colleges aren't necessarily going to be looking at their music class. They're going to be looking at those core classes. And I hate saying that as a music teacher, but that is could be part of the reason why a lot of these students are dropping. They're trying to focus their energy on that other those other classes to help improve their chances of getting into a good school. Now, next, I want to share a couple of student stories that were also submitted because I did pose this question to students as well. How is your school year going? What are things like? What is it going to be like for the semester? Or what is it going to be like for the, you know, for your district. And uh, one student who submitted uh, is, her name is Erin, and she is a student at Manhattanville College. Um, and she said, you know, her classes are pretty much hybrid or high flex. Um, and the, the school actually, you know, is making sure that these students are safe. They've actually started writing students up for not wearing masks, for not properly social distancing, you know, for having parties. Uh, when they're not supposed to, you know, and this isn't just happening at Manhattanville College. And Aaron, I thank you for letting, giving me a little bit of insight into what's going on in the beginning of your school year. I mean, it sounds like a lot of district or a lot of colleges have gone for that hybrid or high flex model, but it really depends on what state you live in. You know, it, it, some states, I, you know, I have a former student who goes to school down in Oklahoma and they're in there every single day, no problem. You know, and um, she loves it down there and she she's experiencing college, you know, the way that it should be, being with her friends, being, you know, in class, uh, getting a proper education in the classroom where a lot of our other schools are really getting um, this hybrid model education and trying to make the best of it. So, Aaron, I do want to thank you for sharing your story with me. Um, you know, we actually had one school here in the state of New York uh, shut down because of the amount of positive cases that just blew up um, out of nowhere. And I think a lot of people don't get, too, when it comes to universities and colleges, students come from everywhere. You know, they're not like even for like state university schools, like State University of New York, we still have students who who come in from Massachusetts or from from other states. You know, I have a good buddy of mine when we went to college, he went he was from Maine and he came to, you know, he came to our state university of New York. So even some of these larger universities, they have students come from all over the place. I have former students that are attending schools in North Carolina, attending schools in Michigan, attending schools in Louisiana, you know who knows where the students are coming from and they could potentially be bringing the virus with them. We don't know. And, you know, that's why it's so difficult to narrow down these protocols, I feel, for these places. Now, I don't know what it's like in other states, but I know here in New York and actually in the tri-state area, um, you know, the governors have put their heads together to create a, um, a quarantine state list, essentially, and it changes. 
Um, if you know there tends to be a high rate or high cluster rate of uh, positive cases in specific states, they get added to this list and. Um, they ask that when you come back to your state, they come back to New York, um, that you have to self-quarantine for 14 days. You know, we have students who ended their summer vacation in one of those states and couldn't even attend the first two weeks of school because they were required to self-quarantine. So that those are policies that are coming down from our government to try and mitigate this virus. Now, the next student story I want to share is actually from a student named Courtney, and she's not a music student. She's actually um, a PT student, a physical therapy student, um, and she also attends school in New York. However, her degree program has been kind of turned upside down because of what is required in the last couple of years of that program. To give you kind of a little insight, um, she basically um, has to take clinicals at in the final year of her program where she actually, you know, goes into different physical therapy clinics and hospitals to be able to get the training and hours she needs in order to complete her degree. Now, the final year also includes a summer intensive situation where she was actually supposed to start a clinical in the summer. What her college ended up having to do was have her actually take the final set of classes she would have had to take over the summer instead of in the fall. And now she is finally, finally in her first clinical situation. Now, in a couple of weeks, she actually is going to be shifting down to a new location down in North Carolina, where she will actually continue in a new clinical area, um, continuing to get those hours that she needs. It's been a, it's been very difficult for her and her classmates to try and finish this degree because each state has different regulations and different guidelines as to what you're supposed to do. So going from New York, going to North Carolina, going to potentially another state that might have high area clusters, she's, she's essentially putting herself at risk in order to try and get this degree. And I applaud and commend Courtney for doing what she's doing. But essentially what her college had to do was re- hash and basically restructure the way that the program would go into the final year of that of that cohort so that they would be able to graduate on time and graduate properly. Now the concern is in having the discussion with her the concern is what if the numbers start going up in the second wave and all of a sudden the college closes or the clinics close. There's a lot of variables out there that could potentially, you know, harm the progress of completing this degree for Courtney and that cohort of students. Regardless, I think it's safe to say that we're all going through this. It is overwhelming and we're all trying our best to make the most of it. I think that's what we can get from today's episode. We're overwhelmed, we're tired, but we're doing our best to make the most out of the situation that has been dealt to all of us. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. 
And the beauty of it is we'll distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That does it for episode 13 of the Aka Education Podcast. I want to thank all of my contributors for this week's episode. And thank you to all of you for listening. Be sure to check out the links in our episode description for different resources that we discussed during today's episode. Check us out on social media. Aka Ed Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Be sure if you haven't done so already to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when a new episode is posted every week. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music Podcasts, and we're also on Anchor. You can also now check us out on Akaville Radio, akaville.org. And last, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, be sure to email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Justin Glodish. I'll see you next week.